welcome to The Accessible Altar, a podcast of conversations at the intersection of faith and disability. I'm Robin King. And I'm Stephanie Shockley. Your hosts. Today, we are in conversation with the Reverend Meredith Krigler. Meredith, and welcome to the Accessible Altar. Thank you. I am delighted to be with you all today. So Meredith, I think what we usually do is we start off by asking our guests to tell us a little bit about themselves and the things that they are really passionate about. Sure. So I am, I'm an Episcopal priest. I've been ordained now for almost a dozen years. Shocking. I wake up and that happens. And I serve in the Diocese of Texas. So, and I've been this whole time in and around the greater Houston area. And right now I'm the rector of a parish in Baytown, east of Houston. And I also serve as a mentor and instructor with backstory preaching. And I've been doing that for about four and a half, five years. And so I really enjoy working with clergy folks. And I'm a little bit of an entrepreneur kind of adventurous person and also have been doing some work with my uh, dear friend and colleague, um, the Reverend Danae Ashley. And together we formed a group on unfurling embodiment. And that's something that I'm very passionate about. So I'm passionate about how we live into who we are in our whole self, including our bodies and how we are unapologetic about that and recognize that the whole person is called into the life that God has for us. And so um, that wholeness is something I'm passionate about. I'm also very passionate about play and rest and those dovetail well into who I am and my own embodiment, but also just life and ministry and have served me so well in different areas and capacities. So with respect to the accessible altar, I think those are some of the pieces of my life that I'm passionate about. And then also just name that I am the type of person that's a bit of a renaissance. And so my interests vary so, so much. And so if you, if you, if you're curious about me, you're like, did you really, um, research ants in a tropical rainforest for months? Yes. Did I work in an optometry research lab? Yes. Am I writing about this? Yes. I'm one of those weird people that has so many varied interests. But as far as what we're talking about today, wholeness, play, and rest. Does that help? That, that does help a lot. Um, when Robin and I were looking, and we have a, like this long list of things um, connected with the topic of this podcast, which is of course the intersection of faith and disability and illness. And when we were talking about who we might like to talk to, Robin said, you know, um, I'd really like to get Meredith on the podcast because she has a lot of insights about um, topics that are adjacent to disability and illness, um, things such as wholeness and rest and Sabbath and um, sustainability in kind of in your, in your work. Um, So that was one of the things we were really interested in. And I'd love to hear a little bit. Um, I'd love to hear a little bit more about your thoughts on some of those, especially um, for clergy and in a, 
in a world where the secular world is all about overwork all the time. Yes. So thank you. So I want to name that my body is my biggest teacher. And if you were to talk to me about a decade ago, I would have been in that world of overworking and overproducing and not resting and not playing and just really unhealthy in myself in spiritually and emotionally and probably physically as well. And, and so most of my experience and my learning comes from my own body. So probably a, a, a piece of me that's really important to name and um, I'm open to speaking about it because I'm all about normalizing it is I, I live with chronic illness. I don't know whether I'm going to wake up one morning and I'm going to be able to rock it out or I'm going to be able to like maybe make it to my study. Like, you know, for example, today in Texas, the weather changed 50 degrees Ooh, and, and my joints were like, hello, it is morning and mm-hmm. we will, we will speak our cries out loudly. Right. And so you just <laughs> yeah. never quite know. And so for me, my body has been my teacher and what I recognized um, over the years is that when I am resting, when I am playing, when I am having a life that is not all do and produce, then my life is more full in a way that is abundant, even if I'm doing less. And by my life, I mean, not just personally, but also ministry. So one of our kind of, you know, do less is a, is, is a phrase that I am fond of for those of us who are recovering from being overworkers and overfunctioners. Now, I know that that phrase may not be helpful to everybody, but that phrase is helpful to me and my own particular embodiment. Where do you feel like the church today pushes people to be, whether they be clergy, whether they be lay leaders, whether they're just um, our parishioners who maybe are not, say, on the vestry or something? Or even the ones on the vestry. (laughs) Yeah. 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 I mean, anybody, whether anybody in the pews or our wardens or, you know, anybody. I mean, I feel like you're talking about values that we've lost track of. I think that you're right. And that's one of the reasons I love where I serve and with the people I serve with is because I kind of think Trinity Baytown and Backstory Preaching are unicorns Hmm. in the sense that they recognize, not every, nobody's perfect. They hear that. That's if they're listening to this, they're not going to be as surprised by that. Like nobody's perfect in all of this, but there is this core value of wholeness. um, And, and that, that, out of wholeness is that generativeness um, that that aligns with my own. And to, to respond to your question, I, I have witnessed many different ways and been on the receiving end in painful ways of where the church is not in alignment with that value of wholeness, um, with a value of a God that rests, right? We, um, for, um, for example, right, there are jobs and callings in this church that I would be incredibly gifted at, but I would be also unwilling to sacrifice 
um, my own value for. And Mm. that's a loss for the church and the witness of Christ in this world. Mm -hmm. Um, I think about it. So where I live is um, surrounded. So Baytown, Texas really kind of has its origins in the oil and energy boom, right? This is the home of Exxon oil, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. right? Like historically. And so, you know, that's whole other conversations that we could have a different time place. But what I'm mindful of (laughs) is that it's about energy, right? So like in this area, it's all about energy. And even the oil companies recognize that people's work days need to look different than they used to. Mm. Like, and if the, if that world gets it, (laughs) church, wake up, beloved church. Like we have such potential. Mm -hmm. We have such potential energy, such potential for the gospel um, that we are losing because we are asking people to forgo their personhood to become a producer or a product. So it's something I'm very passionate about and it's something I speak about regularly and it's something I have, yeah, I've lost jobs because of it and that's okay. I mean, it's okay, but it's also not. It's okay for me personally and my values. And it's not exactly Robin. It's It's not not okay okay for for the the church. church. It's not okay for the church to continue to be perpetuating a cycle. And Mm -hmm. so that's what I love about one of the things I love about what you all are doing is you're doing the work of dismantling the structures that expect people to be products. Mm -hmm. Right. I, I would argue, Oh, Robin, are you going to ask? I I feel like, um, because it, it is so, uh, affirming to hear you speak out of the joy of where you are now Mm -hmm. I'm really like I could sit and listen to that for a long time (laughs) especially as we come into Lent and I feel that like like assumed drive towards productivity and then like Easter perfection which is not the Easter story it's not um but it it is sort of what the culture of the church tends to ask for Mm-hmm. But I, I'm also very curious about, and I, I don't know, either like the transition from where you were 10 years ago or the moment when you sort of looked around and you're like, oh, I was part of what was making this worse for me. Mm-hmm. And I have found a better way. Is yes. there a story or a way you could talk so about that? Sure, maybe. I'm going to try a story and we'll see if I land there. And if not, we'll try it again. (laughs) So, um, so again, I've been doing ministry in and around that Houston area, Mm -hmm. which is an area that is plagued by hurricanes and trauma. And so my ministry has been defined by trauma in so many ways, shapes and forms. So I've been the rector of two different parishes and the first parish where I was the rector for five and a half years, we were recovering from a devastating hurricane, hurricane, Mm -hmm. um, hurricane Ike. And it took the majority of my time to get us to that place of a physical, but also an emotional and a spiritual possibility. And Mm. most of my own um, like embodied disabilities came to light 
while that was happening because I was doing that deep inner work and asking the questions and being curious and having the moments to say, why is this the way? Like, why is my, and my body's like, I have been screaming at you Mm -hmm. and I'm going to keep screaming louder, right? Even the stones will cry out. That's the body. It's crying out saying something is wrong. And so for me, it was about taking that moment to listen. And that moment looks like um, I started a practice of solid, solid Sabbath keeping and regular mm-hmm. retreats. And I started to be real, real boundaried about it. And I still am. And so there was a piece of that, that I had to like, there's not like one moment, mm-hmm. but it's a step and habit forming of taking time to be listening for some of that and to recognize, oh, I am overdoing. And by overdoing, I am harming myself and the church. And that's not helpful. And so, so there was that hurricane. And then that ministry was bookended by another hurricane that made my, the rectory in which I lived in unlivable. Right. And so Oh. Right. And so my next, when I was the rector of my, my current church, right, we started with hurricane recovery uh-huh. and uh-huh. we, we had my, the vestry that we're chatting about it. We had like seven months where we felt like we had gone through there and recovery is not just physical, right? It's emotional mm-hmm. and it's spiritual. I mean, mm-hmm. there's so much work. We had about seven months where we were about to have a new vision and the pandemic hit. And so I'm aware that like, I think that part of why maybe such my awareness is I have such a, I have years of ministry within a system that knows trauma. Mm. And so how do, and in a body that knows trauma and learning and listening for how, how, how are we, how do we be in those places? I'm not sure if that really got to your question. I mean, it is, it is a hard question to answer, <laughs> but I think right. it did. I, I think that the part of the question that I, I was really curious about is, you know, cause I didn't think this is how it worked, but it wasn't that like you woke up one morning and you were like, I get it now. <laughs> oh yeah. No, there was no epiphany. God, I wish there was. <laughs> Wouldn't like, that the, be nicer? That would have. No, it was like, I, I don't know because, you know, epiph- an epiphany for me came in the form of a case of shingles. So the epiphany sometimes, I don't know, the gradual ones shouldn't be underrated. <laughs> I don't know. Well, so, so my, so my, so my body, I, I, I live with among many things I live with Crohn's. And so I like to say it, it's sometimes a literal pain in my ass. Um, and you would think that that would be an epiphany at times, but we can be stubborn human beings. We can. And Balaam yes. can be talking, you know, Balaam's donkey can be talking as much as she wants. And I have to be able to be willing and curious and quiet enough to listen. I mean, it's amazing to think of the things that, um, that I, and lots of other, like all of us, so many of us just kind of decided we just had to sort of suck it up and get through, oh, because we're the priest and we have to do it, or we have to be Mm -hmm. there or, you know, um, the danger, if I don't do it, nobody else will. Mm-hmm. thinking mm-hmm. has done in my life mm-hmm. I mean yeah. the in our third episode um we interviewed um Lindsay Lunham who's a priest in Queens uh New York mm-hmm. City and 
the story, uh, the the episode is actually about, was not about what I, the story I'm about to tell you that she told, but it, it just struck me and it stayed with me, which is she talked about being three weeks postpartum when she was ordained and being physically in no shape to stand in the cathedral of St. John the Divine. I think that's where she was. I don't think New York or Long Island, I don't remember which, but anyway, she's standing in the cathedral and she like truly should not have been there. She should have been mm-hmm. at home with her new baby healing and bonding and doing all the mm-hmm. things you do. And <laughs> I just thought that is, if that is not a story about the church and not I'm, giving people space and rest, I don't know what it is. And that story repeats itself, right? It's, mm-hmm. it's like, it's like the stories from Genesis that just keep propping up over and over again. And we see them all the time. It's the human condition. The story you shared, I mean, that resonates with me. I could share stories of, I broke my foot, it healed. Three months later, I broke it again because I was pushing it too much. And part of the reason I was pushing it too much is because I thought I needed to climb all of those steps to the high altar. But nobody told me that. Like there was no pressure from the church. Mm -hmm. It was an internalized pressure. Well, and we talked about this. Mm-hmm. in a recurring cycle and it will keep being recurring spoiler alert for all the episodes we haven't recorded yet but when the church culture doesn't have a pattern for hey this thing's going to be a problem let's come up with three different options and pick the one that works best mm-hmm. you climb the steps with a broken foot and break it again mm-hmm. yeah, to be clear i didn't break it on their steps but yes but yeah um, but yeah, I mean, the amount of physical therapy, and I remember going through those <sighs> physical therapy, learning to walk again, right? And I'm like, if only the church could learn to walk again. Yeah. So, yeah, you know, what I was thinking, um, what I was thinking about when you were talking about, you know, there are jobs that I might be, you know, that, you know, you might be really qualified for that, you know, I, that you would not sacrifice yourself Mm-hmm. Or, you know, or your life or maybe your, your family, your relationships or whatever to mm-hmm. do those jobs. And wow, that resonates. Um, one of the things that we talk about here and the base and the name really of the podcast is about a world in which um, nothing is accessible for mm-hmm. various groups of people. We're focusing on disability, but everything's intersectional, right? Mm-hmm. So nothing is access- accessible, truly accessible until the leadership is accessible, until ordained ministry is accessible, until the mm-hmm. house of bishops is mm-hmm. accessible. Mm-hmm. And for, and I think at least, and I'm interested to know what you think. Um, I think that for groups of people that have to quote, you know, work three times harder to be considered half as good or whatever, mm-hmm. You're, the, there are so many things in the church where you're creating just like a boundary because people are not going to sacrifice themselves on that, mm-hmm. that false altar of overwork and, and whatever in order to get to those positions. Mm-hmm. Right. Like, my mantra yeah. is I will not lay down my life for that, which is not the gospel. Mm. Yeah. So That's I hear good. you. And, and yeah. I think you're right on that. And so part of part of it and part of what I love that you all are doing in this podcast is helping to change the narrative and to normalize it and to name when we see it in different ways, shapes, and forms as appropriately as we can, but that's not okay. It's, you know, no, actually like, you know, when the colleague is saying how they're, how they're working so much, it's like, no, like there is another way. Um, 
that job or, 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 or to name in the boardroom, it sounds like that job needs to be split for two people because we're asking somebody to do something that's incongruent with what it means to be part of the body of Christ. Like it's, where is, where is our power and how can we use it in order to change the structures with, with love and grace, but they need to change. When you say those things to parishioners, because I'm also very aware of that message of martyrdom that you have identified as something you are not going to do, which you state mm-hmm. so beautifully. It's something. Yeah. And thank you for using that word, Robin. That's a good word to put in play yeah. here. Right? Mm-hmm. But mar- martyrdom that is not required. It's not, not required. Not but it, ha- it has already been internalized by so many of the parishioners I have known and loved. Mm-hmm. And I will watch them simultaneously bemoan how they feel like they are doing too much and refuse to stop doing anything because it might mean something changes. Yes. It's hard. And it just feels like this Gordian knot that I have never been able to help anyone untangle for themselves or not even untangle, but just learn that that's like not the standard Christian's are held (laughs) so and part of this might be some of my background but like my current parish we have done so much formation around some of this like I'm a certified daring way facilitator and dare to lead facilitator and the vestry's gone through it and the ministry leaders have gone through it and we just finished a 12-week Enneagram study where there's a bunch of twos that I'm like I don't want to see you volunteering to bring cookies or chili unless Stop you it. really want to. Right. And, and, and there's some humor in that, but like we're having a chili fest in two days and, 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 and I literally like, you know, from the conversation and morning prayer was like, but not you, I don't want to see your chili. <laughs> and they're like, Oh, and I was like, right. And so, so I think that that relational piece, mm-hmm. and there are some that I can't be that playfully candid mm-hmm. with and I recognize but, that and but so I it, also it, here you're giving them like language and terms mm-hmm, in that yes and yeah. I'm using it with myself too so like modeling that um whereas like there are some days I will sit down in the sanctuary because my joints are really cranky and I don't need to stand mm-hmm. and what's beautiful about that is I see more people being free with their own bodies because I mean, I'm heard- choosing to do that. Uh, just yeah. to be clear, uh, Robin's language is at the front of our bulletins um, and Thank has you. been with a link to you all for months. But sometimes it's a intentional decision not to push myself because I could push myself. But if mm-hmm. I'm pushing myself, what is that modeling for others? Yeah. Or so part of it for me is terms and... I'm intentionally open and vulnerable about what's going on in my own body in order to normalize it for others. Now, everybody has that choice and I would never want to take that choice away from others, but I'm okay naming when something is going on with myself and saying what accommodation I might need because I want people to see the priesthood differently. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I know that comes at a cost and I know not all of our colleagues are willing to take that cost. And I guess martyrdom looks like different things, but that is something I'm willing to lay down my life for. Mm -hmm. Um, And I do it. 
Thank um, you for doing that. that and is... hopefully one day people don't have to, yes. but until we keep it in the forefront and talk about it and name it, then, I mean, we have, we have the front of our church, like at this point in the pandemic, we're still at a level of high and at the front of our church is a mask sign. And it's um, why, you know, like written in real clear piece is because um, the presence of the vulnerable is more important than our comfort. Mm. Mm-hmm. And that line all the time, and everybody in the church knows their priest is one of the vulnerable. And if you don't wear that mask, what is that saying? And I also have colleagues who are like, I would never want to do that because I know for a fact, like who would want to hire that person? Yeah. And that's, that's the cost. And that's the, that's the hard piece of it but I have a dream and I know you all do too of a church that's different. I mean, we're inviting them into a transformation. And mm-hmm. so, yeah. All right. <laughs> so I guess it's just discerning, right? What is a, what is the thing that I'm willing to lay down my life for and a vision of a church that can be different is one of them. That I think it's so, so one of the, I've realized two things along the way, one of the, and i I think I said this in an earlier episode. One of the things I've realized is that um, having me around as a, as their pre as a priest as their priest, and whatever whether it's a congregation I'm in now or whether it's um, the places where I did supply while I was working as a hospital chaplain or you know whatever, mm-hmm. um, changed changed things about how people saw the priesthood and hopefully I hope taught them something about their own selves and their own spirituality. I don't know, you know, you never know, but, but I also, but I also realized um, that it's not always enough that people don't always translate, that they don't make the leap from it's okay for Stephanie to use um, accommodations for the things that she cannot see or the things she Mm -hmm. cannot do, but it doesn't make it okay for others that are willing Mm -hmm. to make this weird exception, like carve out, in their little rules or, you know, and, and how they think about things for me, for whatever reason. And I don't know what those reasons necessarily are. Um, but I realized that you have, that I need to be more um, explicit and that's a big risk to take. And it was a risk that as somebody who grew up who had a disability their entire life, I was taught not to take those risks, like to be good, to show how awesome and smart or whatever it was that I that I was and just to stay up, you know, stay off the radar, stay out of trouble. And I'm thinking, wow, I love the fact that you are choosing to be so open and intentional about these things because they have to be made clear. I think for people, a lot of times people, because people can't always do the translation. Yeah. I think that's the risk. And perhaps it's partly because I've come into what makes my body less normative after I was ordained, mm-hmm. right? It's a fairly, yeah. it's in the last seven years. And so this is a new world still for me. And mm-hmm. I am still learning how to navigate it. So I recognize that I speak from my own particular place within that um, and a desire and a place of like, I've known different. Right. And a desire for that to be for everyone. And so I, I listen to a little bit of what your story is and there's a piece of me that's loving that they're accommodating and, and, and giving space for you to be you and the clergy that you are. And I hear in that, like, what would the vision of God's 
can them be when that can be that for everyone? What would, so I wonder, for example, for me, what would it have been like to understand that when I was not in my forties, right? Like now, Mm -hmm. like what would it have been to understand that in, while I was in seminary, while I was in the process, while I was. That's a, that, that process piece, when you said that it just like triggered all sorts of different things. Yeah. I'm actually, Mm -hmm. I'm actually having like a little bit of adrenaline rush thinking about it. Yeah, I am too. I'm like, yeah, yeah, there's pieces I'm clear with folks. Like I just, I just, you know, was leading, (laughs) uh, co-leading something with our curates. And I was like, I was like, let's name the fact that um, in our process, if this stuff came up for me before I was ordained, that would have been a stop. And let's name that that's not okay. Cause Mm -hmm. God has clearly called us to be and do this. There are artificial demands, whether we create them internally or they are placed on, placed on us Mm -hmm. out loud, or just sometimes unspoken artificial demands for a certain kind of perfection that no one can meet. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think that that's part of what I'm, you know, I, I'd like to think that the church is going to change and learn and grow from the pandemic. And I'm not entirely sure she will in the ways that I would like her to, because um, I'm always the convinced that like, and this is speaking my, out of my own theology, but like we're sinners, <laughs> we sit strongly and, and, and that there's a level of that, that is probably going away, even within the beloved church. Um, and so how do we navigate that in different ways? And so partly for me, it looks like, where can I, where can I advocate for others? Where can I stand in the gap for others? Where can I, and again, I think that part of my calling is to speak and to name it because there Mm -hmm. are others within my area who don't feel safe or don't feel that call, but by being the one who speaks it, it helps things change. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Because one of the things I was hearing as you were speaking is there's a, there's this kind of cult of secrecy right? Shh, oh. shh, don't say anything. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, Mm-mm, speak the truth, but I know it comes with a cost. It does. And interestingly, but I do think that you get to be, you know, when we get to be in certain positions within the church, sometimes you get to say a little bit more so that, that absolutely that word, like the fact here, that I'm the that, rec- a full-time rector right. of a parish and I've been one for twice gives me more power than the curate yeah. who's an associate for somebody. And so it is then in my, in my mind, my duty to mm-hmm. speak because others cannot. Yeah. 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 I mean, that word rector comes with a certain kind of safety that Mm-hmm. doesn't that you know, doesn't exist necessarily for others and yeah yeah and so yeah. to me if whenever we are in positions of power then it also comes with an expectation that we use whatever power we may have in order to shift and shape the system for the vulnerable one thing that stood out especially when you talk about like the assumed thing in the church um, so I had my first brain surgery at like 19 and I had just been elected to diocesan council because systems are complicated. So like the entire diocesan council had like known about this and prayed for me. And then I am sitting in a meeting and I listen to someone say, well, we, because they're talking about like insurance costs and they're like, well, we need to get younger priests because they're healthy. <laughs> And I just remember looking across and I was too young and I was like in the process myself. And I'm just like, I just had brain surgery. (laughs) You know, this, this was like, (laughs) 
Yeah, but all of those assumptions of what one identity means for other ones that are not actually right. The assumption based on anything because you are young, you are their Mm -hmm. version of healthy. Yeah, right. And that healthy is the thing we should pursue, or 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 healthy in the sense of like has a body that normatively works. And because I would say that you are healthy. Yeah. Right. And you are well, even if your body is a little bit cranky and different in one way, shape or form. But part of the reason my body works is because I have more doctors than I care to count at this moment because I've hit like peak doctor for February and the month isn't over yet. <laughs> uh, I do hear you. I'm, I'm over here counting on my, I, I have six different specialists. Oh God. So I hear that. Yeah. And, 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 and I say, and I share this publicly in the sense of mm -hmm. like our, our diocese, um, you know, has had some recent conversations about insurance and, and having full family insurance. And that's something I've been advocating for, for, I guess it's a decade now. <laughs> I can say it's been oh under gosh. threat in the, um, in the Episcopal and, Church and, for a decade. You know, now. every once in a while, I'm like, I was like, poster child right here. And I know I'm not the only one, but I'll own mm-hmm. it and I'll name it because maybe if you can personalize it and put a face to it and put gifts to it and put a call to it, then maybe you can recognize that um, you, we're not talking about numbers on a spreadsheet we're talking about human beings who have a passion for the gospel and that should matter um so so i hear you and there's a piece of me that wishes that everybody didn't have to know my business and i choose to make them i choose to have them know my business for the sake of change and transformation Mm -hmm. And I wish we had changed and transformed. I mean, there's that, there's that catch. Right. You're circling back to some of the conversations. I know Stephanie and I were having like in the like conception of this podcast, like mm-hmm. what do we tell? What do we not tell? How do we draw boundaries? So people are safe here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cause it's a big ask. Yeah. It's a big ask. And you know, there's, I, I run into a lot of stuff online. Like you're not required to provide receipts for your trauma or for your mm-hmm. suffering or, Absolutely. or whatever for, for people to be deserved, to be believed and heard. Right. Amen. And mm-hmm. I, yes, let's be clear. I am not advocating for everybody to do that. I just feel right. a particular personal call that that's part mm-hmm. of what my ministry is yeah. so that it becomes safer for others. Mm-hmm. Right. No, it, it is, it is a call and it is a choice. Um, it is a conversation that Robin and I had for a long time before we mm-hmm. started, before we ever, ever like on put a mic on recording. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Before we ever turn on a microphone and a conversation that we continue to have as things expand and as more people, as this little project mm-hmm. sort of starts to attra- attract a little attention, um, mm-hmm. it is an ongoing conversation. Like, like, okay, I've made this choice to put some of something of my story out in the world in, mm-hmm. in service, hopefully to, to something. Um, hopefully in service to the gospel. Hopefully. hopefully. I mean, that's, that's my belief. I mean, that's why, that's why I'm here is yeah. to promote the gospel yeah. as I understand it to be as best and to, and whether or not that happens from it, I'm sure there'll be some, you know, anytime we speak <laughs> truth to power, you know, what happens to profits. <laughs> right. But right. I, so, so, so I own that and I recognize that and that's how systems transform. Right. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. And, you know, and sometimes, and like saying in, in service to the gospel sounds like a lot more altruistic and high-minded than I am on a lot of days. Right. And it's also someday, true. And, yeah. And you know what it is sometimes, sometimes it's, I know other people with, I know other people with various disabilities or who have an illness or whatever, and I care a heck a lot about them. And I care about them being treated well in whatever part of society they exist in, wherever, wherever they walk, you know, whatever universe they're walking mm-hmm. into at any given time. And this is the universe I have access to. And it makes me mad that things, that lousy things happen to people. Mm-hmm. And that's some days I'm operating out of that, to be honest. Like if it was just me, I don't know. Being a self-advocate is not a good, my idea of a good time, but it makes me so mad when it's, when crap happens to other people, you know, there is this, there's this powerful painting that we have hanging in the, um, in our office, Lauren Wright Pittman's mother hen image. And I, I like, I have that painting, the original hanging in our office. And what you're describing to me is like mother hen, God energy, of like, don't you mess with my beloved who are vulnerable mm-hmm. in this world. And to me, like that anger can be holy. And it sounds like it is, but so, so, so but I mean, it's, it's all I got. It's all I got. Have a giant, slightly fierce mother hen hanging in our hallway. But I'm like, yeah, I hear that. I like that. I like that. I mean, it's but to me, to I'm be, like, yeah, that's promoting gospel too. To be really real, some days it's all I've got is that it makes yeah. me mad. That's fair. I, 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 and again, uh, we have a, we have a punching bag in the garage that I'm like, yeah, this is part of my prayer circle. My, my prayer <laughs> spot, one of my prayer spots. And, and my parish knows that occasionally I was like, yeah, I had to do some prayer in the garage. And they were like, Ooh, oh, like, yeah, <laughs> that rage can be prayerful. <laughs> it's partly what we do with that emotion. Right. Mm-hmm. And where is the intent behind it? And so yeah. one of the things that in my own spiritual practices, as I am continually working on it, I'm not perfect at this is let not letting that ever turn into resentment that then harms my own body or the bodies of those who God loves, which mm-hmm. is also my own. And that's part of the work. I think um, that is my own ongoing work within the midst of this is just owning that. And I think that loops right back around to the, um, the prioritizing Sabbath and play and, and having a life and mm-hmm. all of those things, because that is how, and I've learned this and am learning this, you know, the hard way over time. That is how you prevent resentment mm-hmm. and the feeling mm-hmm. that am I just a robot who does administrative tasks all the time? You know, that feeling, which is not a good feeling, no. which the pandemic kind of. Oh, it made least, it so much harder. At least for me, it made it feel like that more, you know, because a lot of what we got to do. Um, as priests that so many that we love so much about our ministry, a lot of that was diluted or shut down or whatever. Mm-hmm. So, or tra- changed in a way changed. that, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so, but I, yeah, that it comes right back around to that discussion of Sabbath and of being a whole person. Um, and, and I not- think, um, Robin, you had mentioned some of this to me as we were preparing for this is I want to be clear that like, while I'm, while like for me, Sabbath is a day, it's also a f- flexibility with schedule. Mm-hmm. Right. Like if God has called me to be the person and to do that ministry in this particular place, that doesn't mean that I am fitting to a form. That means the form is working with me, which means like, I know when I can be really creative and I know Mm -hmm. when I am just, there is no use for me being in a particular place doing something. Yeah. Right. And, and so 
partly it's like the, and I know that I come from a place of privilege in the sense that I have the flexibility to craft my own schedule and to encourage the, the staff and the ministry leaders who work with me to craft their schedules particular to their own personhood. And I do wish that the church um, embraced that more. Right. And their whole person. And it would, you know, and like, yeah, of course the church can be flexible around that. So what if something is printed a couple hours later? Oh well. Like, yeah. what's more important? And so partly it's you know shifting a system in order to not just be about what that looks like for me, but everybody within that system as well. Right. And one of the things I'm thinking as we're talking and um I think it's really important to address the, the harm to clergy and, and how we're keeping people from even stepping up for things because, or answering their calls to things because of the harm that we can cause. And then, but I, I was thinking about, and it's all my list of questions. I was thinking about our parishioners, our lay people um, and the world, the secular world in which they live that mm-hmm. says they are only as valuable as their mm-hmm. production. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, they are they are absolutely cogs and machine, do more things. How dare you ask for more money? How dare you want to join a union? How dare you, et cetera, et cetera. Right. Um, mm-hmm. And so they're in this world where everything is clock in and clock out. You have a dollar value, et cetera. Mm-hmm. And we offer, if we want to, we offer something radically different and life giving. Absolutely. But we, if we want to, and it, I don't know if the church always wants to, but we could. I I think. So I hear that. And I think you were right on. And so I want to celebrate every moment when we like lean into that. (laughs) Yeah. I just, I was thinking, um, I just, you know, as clergy, we always want to talk about clergy and our experiences when I was thinking Mm -hmm. like, gosh, our lay people live Mm -hmm. in this world where they are just devalued constantly devalued and, um, mm-hmm. you know, only as, as only as valuable as their labor and, and whatever. Um, and how do we, and there's a couple things there, um, I guess for the church, first of all, how do we create a radically different experience for them? Number one. Mm-hmm. And, and how do we help mm-hmm. them? How do we help them understand when this, our values, these, the values that we hope to be creating in the church are so different than what they're just constantly fed and constantly forced into outside of the church with they, they, things they might, even if they're in a manager, a managerial supervisor, mm-hmm. supervisory position, they may be enforcing these rules themselves. Mm-hmm. So how do we help them see mm-hmm. another way? Yeah. And if you can solve this one, <laughs> So, I mean, I'm like not sure I'm a miracle minutes. worker, so there's <laughs> right. that. Um, I, I mean, again, my, my my automatic response to that is always trying to, like, model it and mention it when it's seen. But And part of this is just being curious about where it shows up and wrestling with those hard things. So, and maybe that's part of my daring wake. Um, Brene Brown, get curious about your emotions, get curious about what's happening, recognize mm-hmm. what's happening, start to rumble with what are the stories beneath the surface? What are the stories then we actually want to like come out of and, and, and live with and rise from? Um, and so part of it to me, it's just, I'm always about like, let's work through this. Like, I am not afraid of that conflict uh, that because out of those depths comes something new and that real, that new life. And so like concretely, what does that look like? I think 
in my parish, it looks like a lot of circling back about like, okay, um, what went well, what could go different? Like, let's get curious about what was going on. What was I thinking in this? What were you thinking in this? Like doing some of that deep work, where might God have been in this? I think because you described that and it sounds so beautiful, but we've also talked enough, even just here, Uh that I also see the intentional building blocks you set in place for that to be true. And I very much have seen corners of the church that have not only not like decided or had the opportunity or, you know, and there's a lot of pieces to that. I'm not saying anyone failed necessarily. Like I get that's a Uh complicated thing to do. And it has been so sad to watch some people try and make the church seem normal or even exceptional in the middle of a pandemic where I'm like, struggle is it's right now. It is okay. If struggle is our default, like that's Mm -hmm. not a bad setting to survive a global pandemic on. Mm-hmm. and that's redundant but it's a global pandemic like we can struggle through this and that's that's allowed and how and much I, of our questions should be like how do we set ourselves up to be as well as possible in this instead of to like push through I think that's you're naming something really important and I think you're naming like one of the giftedness of people who like ourselves function in a world that doesn't understand us to be normal, mm-hmm. right? Like there is a one of, at least for me, I'll speak for myself. One of the gifts of my own embodiment is that life will never be normal <laughs> and there will yes. always be struggle. So the whole idea that everything can just be peachy keen is gone for me mm-hmm. and never was. And so like, it's always been this, like, how do we be as well as we can be in this moment and do what we are being invited into in this moment? And I wonder if there is a possibility and an offering and like, I'm I'm, I'm aware that your podcast was born in the midst of a pandemic Mm -hmm. because you have a gift in this of how to be and like, we have things to teach the rest of the Mm -hmm. church, right? Who's just now discovering in one way, shape or form, even if it's only for a couple of years of what it's like, we're like, oh, actually we've been doing this for a while. Mm -hmm. Like, um, welcome. Right. Uh, We actually know. Come on in. The water's actually fine. Yeah. And and it's okay. Relax into it. (laughs) Exactly. There are things I've been saying for years Mm -hmm. that everyone just always went, shrug and just kept on doing whatever and all of a sudden now you know the, the right people notice things or the right people have to have, have exactly. want things to be a certain way and like zoom like not having to commute 80 million mm-hmm. hours to be somewhere right? right like oh we could do that now that certain people want to do it yeah I love that and and I think there's a way for that like one of the things Robin when you were emailing me earlier I was like the number of clergy you were like wait what's your system for pastoral care right? Mm -hmm. Because they're suddenly interested because depending on what my body is doing, I may not be able to be the one who actually physically visited somebody. So how do you set up the entire system around that, right? Where a whole body, I was like, welcome into my world. Let me show you what we have. Like, would you like, I could share the accommodations that you could do. Like there's that, you don't have to recreate this out of nowhere. Mm -hmm. Like, 
we got this. <laughs> yeah, there's there is a thing about creativity. It's oh, I feel like this is a thing that for me dances on the edge of let's be clear, it's a pain. There are things that are a pain in the neck, and this and things don't happen so that you can learn the good thing, right? Mm-hmm. It, but 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 mm-hmm. and we talk about that a lot in this podcast. But since the thing happened anyway, if you happen to learn the good thing, that's that's good. That's fine. Um, mm-hmm. And one thing that happens when you've got something that is different, um, mm-hmm. disability or whatever it is, is that you do learn a lot of creativity. Um, you have to. You don't really. You don't have a choice. Um, but it seems like everybody else is waking up to that. <laughs> like, oh wait, we don't have to do things just the way that we that we always have. I mean, for me, it's like, can we have a priest who can't drive? Can that, Mm -hmm. is that okay? Oh, I don't know. And there are, there are congregations for which that is not okay. And there were colleagues and there were people on the commission on priesthood. I mean, it's been a long time now, but I haven't forgotten any of it or, you know, I try to, but you know, you remember, you remember that vulnerable wounded part of yourself. Yeah. Like you remember yeah. things and you try to, you know, I do remember things. If I, if I think about it, I don't obsess over it, but I think about it, but I remember people being well, like, how could you, how could you do this? We can't, they cannot conceive of priesthood that does not include a driver's license. Mm-hmm. And guess what life, you need to be a little more creative in life. And I am here to tell you that it is possible to lead a parish without a driver's license. And then it gives people opportunities for ministry. They would not have had otherwise. I love that. And because I'm imagining like there's an innate creativity in us, Mm -hmm. right? There's this generative creative streak because we've always had to be creative. Right. I doesn't mean it's fun, right? It's not like, oh, well, it's a great reason this, like whatever happened. No, 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 but it's there. So, and at least to me, like, you know, our, our, our diocese is always like, this is a volatile, uncertain, you know, you know, this is a VUCA world, right? I'm like, okay. Well, you know, whatever, whatever way they want to shape, shape or talk about, a world in which creativity is needed and the norm has to be consistently adapted. Um, yeah. I don't know where I was going with that, but <laughs> I think I like, threw you off the trail of what you were trying to say. No, but you were saying something wonderful, <laughs> but I think, but there is just so much required creativity and it mm-hmm. could be tapped into if, if people, um, listen if they're willing to if they're willing to hear what people have to offer I think and that that goes for any clergy that don't fit whatever the normal mold quote normal mold is or whatever okay. and it goes for our lay people too right people right have and, and even if they're not willing to listen God is going to use that creativity right I think about like again your podcast was born in this right mm-hmm. that is a creative endeavor that mm-hmm. you all started like I'm imagining you started it right yeah. yeah. I mean, it's Robin's fault, but yes. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's wonderful, right? I mean, and, I called and, you and then we started it. And right. I think about she the stuff that me. I'm doing yeah. with unfurling embodiment and other things that like, if the church, if the normative structures are not listening, others are. Mm-hmm. So that creative mm-hmm. energy doesn't go into nothingness. It goes into just another place. If we let it. 
which is a loss for the church. It could be. Well, and that's the thing that gets frustrating, right? Is that uh-huh. you don't want to take all that energy and using thinking up you can, that energy could be used to survive sometimes, you know, and yes. that's, that sucks. That's lousy. Um, or it could be used for, for whatever. And then it, but it, it doesn't go sometimes in places that could really use it. And that can be, uh-huh. that can be really, really frustrating. Um, you know, but and that's kind of the reality of a church that, and it's not this just this church, it's churches, but of a church that thinks it knows a lot about disability and illness and embodiment and actually doesn't do a very good job of talking about it. <laughs> I, mean, I hear that. I guess for me, like one of the joys of my life is I say my extra parochial priestly projects. And that's oh, not yeah. to say that, like, again, <laughs> I, love that. I love my parish and I think mm-hmm. like we've talked about mm-hmm. them in wonderful ways, but like I have gifts that are not being tapped in other places in the mm-hmm. church and mm-hmm. there's a grief in that. And, you know, I've got great resources to process that grief, but that doesn't mean it has to not go anywhere. Like there can yeah. be other, you know, extra parochial priestly projects. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. I think there's a tension here that we're sort of talking around between the church, which can sometimes look like the kingdom of God and the kingdom of God, which is also much, much bigger than the church. And God mm. doesn't lose things. Yes. Amen. So yeah. God does yeah. not lose us when our particular gifts are not fitting into the vessels that theoretically could receive them. Mm-hmm. Amen. Yes. That. I, yes. I will definitely go there with you. Yes, 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 mm-hmm. yes. Because it just, you just find place, you find things. You find like, that's, the, that's my trust. That's my faith in God, mm-hmm. right? Like that all of our gifts are not going to be lost. God's too creative for that. <laughs> Amen. Yeah. So I wanted to, um, we've talked about this, I think a lot. We've talked about this a lot, but I want to, um, I just want to come back to it because I noticed this a lot. Um, I'm part of a, and, and, um, a large, you know, ecumenical group of thousands of clergy women, right? It's on Facebook, they have a blog, et cetera. Um, and they're really, really great, really life-giving people from all over the world, all, all different um, Christian denominations. Um, and a lot of things come up where people are asking for advice. And one of the things I see over and over again, um, and they don't always, people don't always identify these as sort of disability questions, but I see them that way. Um, but mm-hmm. over and over again, they say things like, here's I'm listing some examples. Um, you know, they've got whatever going on. They say, I can no longer stand up to preach. How in the world do I handle this? What do I say to my congregation? How do I, can I possibly deal with that? Or they say, um, another example is, can somebody help me explain to my congregation that I can still be the pastor, even if I can't hike through the woods with a youth group anymore? Mm. Now, or what is, uh, like, can someone give me a good job description that names the essential duties of a pastor because there are things I can't do and people are upset about it. Mm. Um, and so one of the things I was thinking about this episode was sort of a, a little bit of hope and advice for people who suddenly find themselves in a situation where they have, they have an injury, they have been diagnosed with a chronic illness, they've got something going on and they, um, they feel like the world's telling them either the choice is to be better, like to be not sick or not have disability or to go out on disability or quit doing what they're doing. Um, but I feel like, I mean, there's another way. So what do we, 
what do we say to those, those, those priests, those ministers, those pastors, like, how do they start to navigate that when they're starting from the very beginning? Well, I think you named it, that there is another way. So I think speaking that truth, speaking that into the world can be, have some power, like words have power. So I think that that is a beginning. I think there's also um, a place of invitation into conversation and creativity. Like I think about, right, when I broke my, you know, when I broke my foot, what would it have been like to get people together and say, here, here's what this is. So mm. what would this look like together with the assumption, like from a place, what would it look like rather than to assume I need to be better or I need to leave? What would it work like to assume that God has called me into this place in this ministry? So like work from that assumption and let's brainstorm from there. And maybe it looks like, um, you know, people, people signing up and people are rides in different ways, mm -hmm. shapes and forms. Maybe it looks like, you know, a couple of weeks of rest. Like maybe it really does look like that for a little bit I mean, and then some coming back. Sometimes it does, right? Sometimes you actually right. do need to stop moving and not right. do anything. Right. Um, yes. But I also, one of the things I'm mindful of is I think more people are aware of it than we think, right? The longer we live, the greater the the greater the probability that we will be the ones who are the world sees as disabled. Yep. Mm -hmm. And I think if we scratch that surface, we're going to discover more people who actually know what that feels like and who recognize that the world that God is inviting us into can look different. I don't think we actually have to go as far as we may think. And I think you've talked um, earlier about like the power of naming it and your commitment to naming it. Mm -hmm. And that is so much like I can think of on a variety of topics when I've preached a sermon, people are like, um, and either very excited or, and this is a ridiculous example, but I think it applies equally. Like I talked in one sermon like ages ago and I would do the sermon very differently now about liking sci-fi and I had so many people come up to me in this like tiny parish that barely knew me afterwards going like I really like Star Wars too or Star Trek is my favorite I loved this episode but they'd find me like in the hallway alone mm -hmm. because there was this like implied shame around it <laughs> I guess, oh I guess. Yeah. and and I'm like I'm both very excited to share this with you but also a little sad that you think this is like a secret and we shouldn't have you know like a star wars party or a star trek like and let's just do that, the thing that normalizing is important like i think of myself at the start of the pandemic right i'm a person who lives with an you know compromised um body mm -hmm. and there was absolutely colleagues who have quite clearly said to me i should have gone out on disability and my response to that is what about the other nine people in my congregation who quietly came to me and also said that they are that too? Yeah. And I'm like, yeah. I am, I am sticking in this place and I am not going out because what does that say to them who yeah. are also big, if you're know, faithful, faithful worshipers and some leaders in the parish, I'm like, they may be quiet about it. And I have their permission to name like that they're there. I'm not naming them by name, but like knowing yeah. we're not alone 
is I think really important. Mm-hmm. Really important. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, this is gosh, it's it's such an important thing. It's such a basic, such a basic level. I mean, oh gosh, the Star Wars thing, Robin. My gosh. Yeah. <laughs> Just to be clear, um, I'm on Team Star Wars. So my favorite, I think it was a New York Times crossword had a yes! clue and it could be either. And I was like, this, this is the crossover I am here for. Yes. <laughs> Intersection at its finest. Because <laughs> like there's good arguments on both sides. I love them both. <laughs> it's amazing. But it reminds me of the experience that so many of us, um, so many women priests have had when you go into a congregation and you're the first woman mm-hmm. and even even as a supply priest when I would do long long-term supply I would have this experience where you know for there'd be a certain percentage of like pulling me aside in the hallway to whisper the secret thing mm-hmm. um that people kind of had to get out of their system because they'd never had somebody who knew what they were talking about really knew what they were talking about yeah. you know um yeah before as a clergy person and I think with all of this that is again you know we talked about a little bit earlier it is just so important that the representation and the normalizing and that people see people um who are real humans Mm -hmm. in front of them I mean whatever walk of life it is representation matters I'm thinking about those colleagues who you have very graciously not named in my opinion (laughs) Um, and one of my questions, uh, so my province like dropped almost all restrictions earlier in the month and like they're all supposed to be gone in March. I have great stress and anxiety about this. My diocese is probably going to be slower. This is what it looks like. But I look at um, my reaction to some of that and like the reaction of other people I know uh, in this region who live with you know, chronic illness and immune compromised statuses and disabilities. And at some level, like the implicit message has become explicit. Mm-hmm. Uh, and ha- and one of the questions I have as I look, like I said, I think my diocese is going to be a little more gradual. They haven't announced it, but that is clearly where the implication is. Um, but like we have a choice in who we are addressing when we make that, whether or not we are recognizing that. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And so to me, part of our work, or at least part of, uh, let me use the I, the, my own pronouns, part of my work is to continue to make sure that it's part of the conversation. Mm -hmm. So I think about like at the early days of the pandemic and asking the questions, naming the things, offering some possible language, like here's, here's a couple of sentences I, I would encourage you to consider adding, you know, mm-hmm. what, what would it look like to, um, like if the assumed value is that, um, Jesus loves the vulnerable, <laughs> like then what does that look like? What does that mean? What does that, how does that get actualized? Um, mm-hmm. that, you know, what, what yeah. I love I that, that. And, and I, and I know the struggle, the other piece I, I think you're naming, right. Like making clear what was obscure. Mm-hmm. It hurts. Mm-hmm. And so that's my, that's my own personal work is 
to work through and make sure there's rest and that there's play and that there's connection so that that hurt doesn't become a resentment and a poison, but gets processed in a way that can be creative and generative. Like that's my own personal work. That is hard, (laughs) but important. And it's, it's especially hard when, you know, we, uh, so many of us, I don't know, I certainly want the thing back, the world back that, that I had, that we had in, not that it was the perfect world. There were many things wrong with it, but the world we had in February, 2020, mm-hmm. you know, or just, I never, um, I never imagined a universe, and I, I've said this before, I never imagined a universe in which when there was a crisis, I couldn't do, we couldn't do all the things to yeah. be kind to people, to be compassionate to people. I've done um, hurricane relief as well, not, not to the extent that my rectory was uninhabitable, but in multiple ways, um, multiple times, um, and once in a parish setting and then one, and once as an activist. Um, and I never imagined a world in which I couldn't feed people and I couldn't hug people and I couldn't cry with people. And I couldn't, you know, I just mm-hmm. never imagined that. So when pe- yeah. So when people yeah. want everything back and they just want it to be okay, they did, they're just tired and their frustration tolerance is shot. And they say the quiet things out loud that they probably just need to work on. Mm-hmm. I get it. You mm-hmm. know, it doesn't make it, it doesn't make it okay, but I, I get why they're defaulting to some really dangerous things. I get it. I mean, when we're hurt, <laughs> right. We hurt other people. Exactly. Oftentimes. Not yeah. just when we're hurt, but also we have really weak cultural, at least in North America, we have really weak, like cultural, social ways to grieve. Mm-hmm. yes and yes that like, grief like, work is so key and that Although, grief but, work like, is so key for this and I don't know about your communities but for me like that's something that the disability community actually does know how to grieve yeah. at least my communities yeah. sometimes do know how some grief work works and I know that's different in different places right but Just- like at least for me I feel like the last seven years of my life have been grief work. Mm-hmm. Like that's what this has all been for me is grief work. At least that's the term my therapist would use. <laughs> like she, She's like, you've gotten really, for an Enneagram seven, you're really good at grief work. <laughs> I've practiced a lot. <laughs> right? All the practice. Yeah. That's, that's good because you could just put more things on your calendar <laughs> as an Enneagram seven. Yeah, that, that's, that's where the Sabbath and the stillness I understand. is really important. <laughs> I understand. Yeah. But yeah, I think you're right. And I, I know this is on like our, medium future list is to come back to some of that like chronic illness and disability and grief work Mm -hmm. because you often wind up practicing a lot in these situations oh god that's such a good i just think it's such that's such a complex question because Mm -hmm. one thing one of the things i've said to robin before is the that I have found and everyone's mileage might vary, but I know I've had conversations with people um, where uh, other disabled people, where we have felt that there's a certain amount of, uh, of like regret and grief and what could have been and whatever kind of conversation that you do not have in front of able-bodied people. 
Mm. It is not safe. You do not have that conversation. You don't say, I wish I, I wonder what it would have been like if I had, could have done this thing or, and I'm mm-hmm. speaking from people with low vision and people who are blind and things like that. Like, or what would it have been like if I could have, if I could see this or I could do that or what, you don't have that conversation in front of people, of people who don't have that experience because they kind of act weird. <laughs> to be perfectly I think you've honest. named something that I think Hard. is really important too, in the sense that like, what's what spaces are safe for Mm -hmm. what and it one of the things that frustrates angers and grieves me is that the church is not the safe space for these conversations and that's one of the things i love that you all are doing is you are making a space that is sacred for some of these conversations to be incubated thank you thank you yeah i mean we are we are we are trying working on it I mean, everyone has read Robin's article about, you know, I don't tell people what to do with their bodies in worship. Mm-hmm. Yes. Was so viral unexpectedly. <laughs> right. Oh, I totally oh, expected it though. I feel like I told you it was, uh, yeah, I expected that. I mean, that's fair, but also like bishops were sharing it and I was Oh, I like, totally shared it with my bishop. <laughs> I mean, I'm glad, but also on the day I was just like, I have to like walk away from all the things. <laughs> yeah. That's that's so high. That's <laughs> yeah. But, you know, but I think. But that the reason I bring that up is because everybody has a different level of, of sort of anxiety around different things. So she's been, Robin has been able to enact that in her ministry. Well, and, and as a, as a person who went through the ordination process with a disability and spent all my time trying to prove how worthy I was, which yeah. by the way, in the end, it almost didn't matter because um, I struggled anyway. And there were a lot of problems. Um but that were not about whether I was proving I was worthy. It was, they were much larger than me and systemic, but anyway, um, I, it, it kind of, it kind of like gets, it freaks me out a little bit because I spent all this time trying to prove I could execute Anglican liturgy to perfection, according to the rubrics. I mean, the rubrics, <laughs> but, I think it's a whole other conversation too, because the rubrics know. were designed by, let's mm-hmm. face it, abled white men. Men, right, right. In exactly. a time when society deliberately obscured and hid disabled, non-normative bodies. Right. Yes. And even- it was not designed for us. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But God, in all of her wisdom, went ahead and called us to be ordained anyway. <laughs> right. Amen. <laughs> And right. then we said yes and right. needed yes. a lot of therapy. <laughs> oh, dear Lord, yes. yes. And yes. then there's, right. So then there's that thing about, do I just replicate these structures to prove my worthiness to be in this position, which is a crap I've fallen into many times and I still fall into to some degree, or do I try to do something different? Do I try to, and, and how do I do that? And, and what does it look like to do whole, that? Yeah. Do differently come what may, right? And how do I associate it with it? How do I, how do I like calm down enough to sleep at night? If I start doing that, how do I breathe? <laughs> right. <laughs> and yeah. that's what this, I think that's part of what this whole conversation today is, is really about. And that's what the conversation was about when Robin called me. And then I took a week to get back to her to say yes or no to this project. Right. Cause I was like, <sighs> I don't know. I could just stay under the radar and not, mm-hmm. and not, and not talk about it as, as much as I want to talk about it as I'm angry so as I am you about shining. it, you know, I am too. And I totally yeah. was expecting you to say no, not because oh you don't God. care about this, but because it's scary. 
because I was very scared and I was very scared yeah, I am scared it's scary. I am scared yeah I mean it's it's hard for all of us any of us well yeah. I hope that you hear a supporter and a cheerleader and a Barnabas over here in Texas for your work and whatever that looks like because this is how God is at work changing our church and that's it that's part of I think what's really important about these conversations is we you start talking to people like you said before you start scratching the surface you'll learn a lot more of your parishioners are affected by these issues than you thought mm-hmm. and probably a lot more of the clergy a lot more clergy mm-hmm. exactly a lot more of god's people exactly yeah. yeah the statistics in north america range from like 22 to 26 percent of the population has a like diagnosed disability right and my thing for a while has been that number is a lot higher in the church because it's already soft. Not all dis- disability is diagnosed mm-hmm. for tons of reasons connected to privilege and intersectionality. Right. But then, in, especially in the Anglican Episcopal tradition, we tend to skew older, which means you're more likely to have a disability. And not it, it sort of goes one of two ways, but a lot of people who have a health struggle are looking for community and the things the church provides. Right. Consolation. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and at the same time, many of them would never identify Mm -hmm. as disabled or they have no idea. There's, there's a community, there's a movement, there's a whatever, they have no idea. No. And, and the healthcare providers that they interact with aren't going to tell them. Even the word, right. For some folks, like someone might come to me, they're like, wait, are you disabled? And I'm like, mm-hmm. I was like, oh, I have six honey. specialists. <laughs> There's a reason. Right. But like, I think of myself for like several years, I was like, I'm not right. Mm-hmm. Like, right. It's a, a, but it's a very broad definition. Absolutely. And it, there's a whole New York times article recently about how, what do you do when you're advocating for a community of people, some of whom don't even know they're in the community? Mm-hmm. Yes. That. How does that, how does that yes. work? Hey, yeah. And what does it mean to be in a church that's always, or at least where we are, where we want to look more like the community in which we serve? And I'm like, here's a whole arena in which mm-hmm. around disability that we could, I'm not even, at least step into. <laughs> Acknowledge. Acknowledge. Right. Recognize exists. I feel like we could talk forever and it would be fabulous. But I'm also wondering, Meredith, if there are any parts of your work, either parochial or your extra parochial pursuits that you want to tag and point people to? There's a couple of pieces just with, and this one's more for my my clergy women out there, is that um, unfurling embodiment in some cohorts and places that are sacred and safe to process what that looks like to be um, a, a human being in a body and a woman in a body and, and that that person is beloved and cherished and precious. And so there's some cohorts and some processing, and we're going to have some cohorts that are start up in late Easter. Um, then the other piece I just want to say, and this gets a little bit to what you were saying earlier, Stephanie. Um, and it's something that I actually, I'm like, I'm working on, apparently I have a lot of projects. I, one of my, my, my doctorate is on preaching Holy Saturday. And mm. what does it look like to intentionally enter into the depths um, and to find oh. that? And one of the things that I, I really am passionate about is working in, with people who are called to preach. Who um, And one of the pieces that's particular to this that you named, so what does it mean to preach when it may not be safe to preach? 
mm-hmm. in your own body, when you may not feel welcome to preach in your own body, when you may not be accommodated, and yet you know, and your community has affirmed, like you are called to preach. And so what are ways that what can become start as accommodation can become places of celebration and go from being accommodated to being normative, to being celebrated. Um, and so that's another area that I really love to work and walk with clergy and any preacher of any kind clergy or lay with. So backstory preaching and unfurling embodiment. And I just want to hesitate for a moment on unfurling embodiment because I want to make sure that I'm right when I say that you are welcoming all women. It is not a biological. Yes, not biological at all. That is, yep. um, that is an, a, a place of self-identity rather than a place of biology. And our current cohorts are identified particularly for clergy because that circle has a whole other, you know, just because it's, as you were talking earlier, Stephanie, it's safer when you have some common ground on those pieces. And what I described to Stephanie is we would be like theology siblings. Like we share a lot of the root same theology and it's two different expressions of that firmly embodied, firmly celebrated theology. Yes, very much so. All right. And we will link to those things in the show notes. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much Bob, for sharing mm-hmm. your time and your ministry and your wisdom with us today. Um, we really appreciate it. And all of this um, just goes right to all the things we've been talking about in various ways, in various episodes, we keep finding these themes that keep coming back around and around and around. Mm-hmm. So thank you. You're welcome. My delight. Thank you for joining us for this conversation about faith and disability. We encourage you to find local partners to talk about faith and disability with. Special thanks again to today's guest, the Reverend Meredith Krigler. You've been listening to The Accessible Altar, a podcast at the intersection of faith and disability, hosted by Robin King and Stephanie Shockley. We record on the traditional land of the Lenni Lenape and Treaty 6 territory. If you like the Accessible Altar, please rate and review us wherever you find podcasts. For additional information about anything we talked about in this episode, as well as a transcript of the show, check out the show notes on our website, www.accessiblealtar.com. We are on Twitter and Instagram as at AccessibleAltar. And join us on our Facebook page at The Accessible Altar. If you have questions, feedback, or ideas for future episodes, email us at accessiblealtar at gmail.com.